Thank you for downloading and or streaming the newest episode of Recasted 2.0. On this episode, we're going to be recasting Dead Poet Society. I'm Wayne G, joined as always by Jesse. How are you, Wayne? Great to see you guys. Yeah, not too bad. Um, obviously, we got some banter to get into, but before we do that, I appreciate everybody tuning in. Make sure you follow us on social media. We are on Facebook at Recasted Podcast, on Twitter at Recasted Podcast, and on Instagram at Recast a Podcast 8. The reason it's so important is because after me and Jesse record the show, you can actually see who we recasted side by side and vote on who you like better. I like that your mom's been hedging her bets, though. She's been like, I like these three by Wayne and these three by Jesse, but she hasn't been going like with a solid. <laughs> I'll have you know, man, that was a topic of discussion this past week. She goes, am I doing this right? Should I be doing something different? And I go, do what you're doing, man. We just want your opinion. And then she goes, well, I don't see anybody else giving me their individual opinion on people, so I just don't know if I should be just saying, like, one yes or one no. And so I'm like, no, give us as much detail as you want. I mean, we really love the interaction. So I appreciate you bringing it up, and I'm sure she will, too. I know she's a big fan of our show, so she loves to watch these movies. She loved watching this one, and I look forward to uh, letting you know uh, some of her input as we get into our cast. Yeah, for sure. And I know that we've gotten a few reviews as well on Podchaser, I think it is, or Podcaster, I can't remember, but couple of reviews came in. People liked the show. One guy said as soon as he heard it, automatic subscribe. He said it's, this is just a cool idea. And that's kind of the feedback I get from everybody is that everyone likes the idea of it. They just got to start listening. Yeah, I'm in a few message boards on uh, social media, whether it be Twitter. I'm on a few like specific groups or Facebook. And on one of them, it was actually this morning. I was letting them know what movie we were doing. And uh, somebody was like, that's a crazy idea. That's, that's awesome. So I think it's the fact that people really love the uniqueness of it. And, um, you know, we really put some passion and effort into these. And, for you know, we run into instances where I'm seeing movies for the first time or I'm learning things for the first time, like you know, the Totoro brothers, or you're dropping in different movie nuggets that you have. I think it really gives us an opportunity to be real and uh, have fun with movies that touched a lot of people. I do want to give a shout out to three films in the podcast that is on Twitter at three films pod. They actually did a recasting their own of reservoir dogs. Uh, there's four of them. They asked, they said, recasted. What do you guys think of our cast? And I'm excited to give them feedback. I haven't yet because I'll be honest. I have not seen reservoir dogs. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you as well, Wayne, neither have I. So maybe that's something we uh, put on our, our bucket list of movies we do. Maybe that pushes it right up the board. That way we can give them some real, raw, honest feedback. And I'm shocked that's not a movie you've seen. Isn't that Tarantino? It, is that shocking that I haven't seen this Tarantino film? I haven't seen any of the Kill Bill movies. I just don't really like him. <laughs> oh, I'm, I mean, I don't like him. I don't like the Kill Bill movies either. But I mean, I know he's done some other ones like Pulp Fiction that gets high praised by some. It shocks me that, you know, you haven't seen that one. But again, maybe that's something we can bump up and, and watch um, relatively soon so that we can give them our honest opinion, some some true feedback. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to do that, but I didn't want to base it because you know how I don't like to base things solely off of looks. So I was like, I have to watch this movie to make sure the people they picked could carry the role. Oh, absolutely. I was not going to do this movie just based on pictures I saw on IMDb as far as Dead Poet Society. So I wouldn't do that either to uh, Reservoir Dogs. So really excited that they reached out to us and uh, want to get some feedback. And uh, we'll certainly provide that to them. And maybe it leads to a partnership in the future. Yeah, I think that'd be cool to do a joint episode with them. I know we like to talk about a little bit of movie TV stuff that we're into and things that come out. One thing I wanted to bring up that I'm into, I think I mentioned it last episode, which was I'd started watching The Walking Dead and uh, I'm now almost at season five. And I wow. got to say this, what I found is, and I mentioned this last night as well, is that the monsters in the show aren't the zombies. 
zombies are kind of just part of the background post-apocalyptic feel. The monsters are the humans. Like it is so how it would be if there was this post-apocalyptic thing where you'd have some people who are building this like kingdom of their own and they're the king of it and they don't want to sacrifice anything and they'll kill anybody who wants to even come in. And I'm like, that's so how it would be. Like we're such awful, awful species. Yeah, it's it's almost purge like the way you're explaining it, where you know there are some people who would put themselves in a position to be the killers, and some that would really just want to make themselves protected and safe, and others that would have to really fend for themselves. And it sounds like the people in The Walking Dead are constantly fending for themselves. Yeah, so they're always trying to find some sort of shelter where they're going to be safe from the walkers, but they also want to have a spot where they're going to be safe from the outsiders, and they're very cautious about who they bring in. Like somebody will show up and be like, "Hey, man, can you help me?" And they ask them questions like how many people have you killed and whatnot. But there's always like another town that they have their own little protection thing. And then they want to go to war with this other little town. And I'm like, what? Like you're trying to survive this zombie apocalypse. Why are you fighting with each other? Because that's what humans would do. Yeah. it's just. Is, is there any particular actor or character in the show that has really provided you an MVP performance, you know, to steal something from Field of Screens? Um... I don't know about an MVP performance. I do like the character of Daryl, who's played by Norman Reedus. He has a crossbow, and he, I know he's like one of the favorite for all the ladies. They really like him, but he's he's all right. I like his character. I really like Rick, who is the main character. He's like the leader of the main group. I just I feel like he's going to turn bad. Like he's seen so much stuff, and he suffered so much loss throughout the first five seasons here. I'm just waiting for him to completely snap and go full heel. Do you know how many seasons there are in total? You said you're at five now. Yeah, I think there's like 10. Oh, okay. The way you're pacing, we may be able to talk about the series finale the, you know, next next week's episode. <laughs> Probably. Well, um, I'm, glad you're, I'm glad you're enjoying that. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I, I'm glad I started watching it. I was skeptical because I don't like horror. It's not my genre. But like I said, this isn't really a horror. It's more of a survival show. Okay. The... News, news stuff I have here. I don't know if you saw this, that Scarlett Johansson is suing Marvel and Disney for the joint release of the cinema and Disney Plus because she's saying that's costing her money because her pay was based on how it does in the box office. Correct. Yeah, I didn't see that first. I heard that from my mom and I was like, no, you saw that on one of those joke websites. And then I read into it further and I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty serious business. But then my next response to my mom was, Marvel has kind of, I mean, they're going to pay her off and they're going to settle this, but I mean, it's not like they need her for any more movies or shows like they've done their their part with her. So I don't think it's right or correct that Marvel slash Disney did this. But I mean, I also think it's what a lot of movie companies are doing right now to get the most results is the home release and the theater release through the COVID pandemic. I mean, a lot of countries, ours included, still aren't all the way out of it. So I think she needs to understand that this isn't like every other situation. It is kind of a unique scenario. So maybe maybe they'll come to some type of mutual understanding in the end where it's not so ugly, but at least now it doesn't look so great. Well, I read that her lawsuit actually inspired Emma Stone to possibly seek out a lawsuit for Cruella. Because, again, they did a joint release where it was cinema and Disney Plus. And so Emma Stone, I'm guessing in her contract, has it. She gets a certain percentage of whatever the box office does. But with the joint release, it makes the box office that much smaller. Oh, shucks. I'm, well, maybe I'll have to rethink my first viewing of Cruella now. <laughs> and then I did see that Dave Bautista actually chimed in on this. When he saw that Scarlett Johansson was suing Marvel and Disney, I think he commented on Twitter, I told them they should do a standalone Drax movie, but no. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, as I think it was stated earlier um, by him, you know, he's on his way out of Marvel. He doesn't really see himself being in anything beyond Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So hopefully he and other people aren't going to chime in and do any more bitter things. I mean, let her and you know her legal team in Marvel and slash Disney handle this, but don't let it start getting ugly. I mean, I, I want to remember Drax's great performances, not, you know, the bitter actor online. Well, I think he was just trying to be funny about, you know, hey, if they'd done it about me, there wouldn't be a lawsuit. Correct, yeah. A lot of this stuff's going to be Disney news that I have here, but I have Disney is wrapping up filming on a movie that is tentatively titled Skull, which is going to be Predator 5. And I didn't realize that Disney bought the Predator series. Neither did I, but when you just said we're going to talk a lot about Disney, I mean, what doesn't Disney own? I mean, Disney probably owns the apartment I'm sitting in right now. So, I mean, I had no idea that they, they owned Predator. I'm really curious to see what they do with it. When you hear Disney, I think you automatically, you think of Mickey Mouse and you don't really think of any violence, blood, a lot of physicality. And I mean, the Alien vs. Predator, the Predator movies, I mean, those have had a lot of grit and blood and action to them. So I'm curious to see what they could possibly do that would make it something worth watching. Well, they're all hard R movies. And it's fitting that they would kind of dip their toe in this because Deadpool has to be hard R. You can't do a PG-13 Deadpool. So maybe this is kind of leading into that. I did read that the plot synopsis or whatever of this movie is going to be about the first Predator that ever came to Earth, which I'm guessing is going to be in like the 1000 AD or something. So it's like a prequel. Yeah. That's not bad. I mean, we'll certainly have to see what they do. I mean, yeah, I certainly agree with your Deadpool take. I mean, they can't own these properties and not do them correctly. You can't turn these things into Disney Channel or Disney movies. We need to see them as their true feel. I did see or I did hear our friends over at Mac and Goo discussing the scene. I haven't seen it yet, but the thing with Deadpool and Korg watching uh, like a trailer. I haven't seen that yet, but I've heard it's pretty funny. Neither have I. And I know that that's an interaction that I know fans would love to see. I think Korg was one of the funnier parts of Ragnarok. And to see him and Deadpool interact, that'd be super hilarious. So um, I'm going to have to get online and see that bit that they're talking about. And I also heard Max say that he hasn't fully finished Friday Night Lights. And he's excited for that show to head back to Netflix so that he can finish it. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's something that's pretty timely because you had just finished it. Um, right. And he, he hasn't gotten to any of the Michael B. Jordan area. That's where he got cut off. Okay. Yeah, so I'm excited. I'd like to see them actually re-come out with it, like reboot the series. They can still bring back Kyle Chandler as you know coach and then just have new players. <clears throat> yeah, Riggins would have to be an assistant coach. You can't do that and not bring back Riggins, in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, or Jason, he'd have to be in there somewhere as the agent that kind of just, whatever. Robot um, legs. That's right. All right, well, speaking of Korg, Taika Waititi is going to be directing a Flash Gordon reboot, or I don't know if it's a reboot or a sequel, but I remember watching Flash Gordon way back in the 80s. It's obviously a huge cult classic. We, they reference it in Ted 2, I think. And I love Flash Gordon. It's actually kind of a neat interesting idea and given the fact that it came out in the mid 80s it's actually kind of a cool sci-fi movie and i thought it has a little bit of comedy to it and taika waititi i think is going to make it just absolutely beautiful so taika waititi listened to one of our episodes and he's recasting movies okay 
Also, pretty recently, what has Taika Waititi done that hasn't turned out to be pretty awesome? So Taika Waititi does a lot of great films recently, and one of them that he did was Jojo Rabbit. I mean, he directed Thor Ragnarok, and he's doing Love and Thunder. That's Thor's fourth movie. So I think everything that guy touches right now is pretty gold. So I think for him to do a cult classic like that is very, very awesome. Well, from one to the other, obviously we have Taika Waititi who did those movies. James Gunn, we know, did the Guardians of the Galaxy. But he also did the Suicide Squad, and he's come out recently and said he'd like to see a Marvel DC crossover movie. That would be insane. I wonder how they would do that. From everything that I've seen on the early reviews, that Suicide Squad that he did is really killing it so far. My concern, I guess, is, first of all, we've got different cities, right? So instead of New York, we have Metropolis. You know, Instead of Gotham, we have whatever, Star City. You know, And right. so we have all these fake cities, so we'd have to incorporate those. But also, the DC superheroes to me are true super powered superheroes unlike the marvel which tends to be more human-esque i think we talked about it last episode that i mean you have thor who's a god but most of them are all kind of human or even a little bit alien but like superman what you couldn't fight him because all he's got is kryptonite like there's no other way to beat him yeah i think also there's kind of two ways that i look at dc the ones that we've been introduced to and that we've seen in dc We've seen over and over and over Batman and Superman. They continue to get rebooted and redone. And, and while some of them are, have become classics, some of them have become very forgettable. And I think there's so much of their lore and their history that they haven't done yet. They, they have so much untapped that they could really explore that DC needs to do that. And I think maybe that's where James Gunn getting the Suicide Squad made this recent film very successful. So maybe he'd be the perfect person to do that with a Marvel DC crossover because he made a bunch of unknowns in Marvel with Guardians of the Galaxy become a lot of fan favorites. So um, I think this is probably the guy that would be able to head that. It just really depends on the timeline because that would have to be maybe 10, 15 years down the road. DC has to get their legs under them before we can talk about them walking and, and shaking hands with Marvel. Well, and my concern was that if you open up the door even a little bit, then you have to basically kick it open. So I thought, you know, you could have, because of how dark the characters are, you could have a Daredevil Batman crossover would make sense in how they fight crime. The vigilantes, but yeah. You're opening up that door to bring in Superman, bring in Green Lantern, bring in the Flash, who I feel like are super powered and just completely different than the Marvel Universe. They don't fit in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I really think it would be difficult, but who knows? I mean, we may run out of certain individual stories from each company, and we may end up seeing that crossover down the road. Uh, that's all I had for breaking news or news. I didn't know if you had anything that you wanted to discuss that you might have seen recently. That is uh, everything that I have. I've just been watching some cooking shows. I'm all about food, Wayne. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't really get into the cooking shoes, shows, even though I know that Garth Brooks's wife, Trisha Yearwood, has one. So. Uh, yeah, I like to watch uh, Hell's Kitchen and Top Chef, and there was a chef from New Hampshire on both of the recent seasons that represented New Hampshire, and one of them was on Top Chef, and he uh, has a re two restaurants in Milford, New Hampshire, and I went to one of them called Culture. It was amazing. Good food, huh? Oh, so good. I, I keep wanting to eat somewhere at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, and I guess he has a restaurant in New York called London and i'd love to eat there but i've heard it's like a hundred dollars a plate and it's little tiny portions yeah i mean you'd really have to find somewhere i mean maybe he's not the guy but i mean I'd, some of these places i see on tv it really gets me going all right well that said we are getting ready to jump into dead poet society are you ready oh captain my captain all right let's do it 
Today we are recasting the 1989 film Dead Poets Society starring Robin Williams. It is directed by Peter Weir, who prior to this movie had directed Witness with Harrison Ford and The Mosquito Coast, so somewhat established. It seems like the movies we've done recently, the last two anyways, the director had done like music videos before he started directing. Yeah, I mean, you know, we can't always do the Morton Scorsese's and your favorite director, Tarantino. we got to mix in some of those lesser-known guys. I do have a short plot synopsis. This one's shorter than the one we had for Rounders, but the plot is Maverick teacher John Keating uses poetry to embolden his boarding school students to new heights of self-expression. The movie is two hours and 20 minutes long, and you saw it for the first time this week. What did you think? I did see it for the first time this week. It was an awesome performance by Robin. I think it was pretty neat to see a few of these actors that end up growing up to do many things that I've seen them in and not this, where this is probably one of their first things ever, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, a few of these kids here. So great movie overall. Reminded me of like a nerdy male only Hogwarts where like, you know, you you get in if you have an important name or a good bloodline. And then when you get in and you work hard, then you end up being a doctor or a lawyer something very established, a banker. So really liked the film. Glad we ended up choosing it. And I presented it to you. And I, if I can, I want to share your your immediate trepidation of, you know, how hard it would be to go ahead and recast someone like Robin Williams. Yeah, I had a lot of concerns. It was definitely the most difficult movie I've recasted so far. And not just because of Robin Williams. And I'll touch on that when we get to his character. But because of casting all of the young people, like all of these characters, when they did this movie, all the actors were 18, 19, 20 years old. And so trying to find actors that aren't 27, 28, it was very difficult. And so I was trying to find people that looked the part, looks played a lot in this because just like these kids, they didn't have a lot on their resume when they did this movie. So I was finding people who didn't really have a lot on their resume, but I had to go through and watch YouTube clips of their interviews, see if they had the right cadence when they talk, just so many things that, because I haven't seen them in anything. I had to really kind of go blind into it, I guess. Yeah, and you know, I think one film or another, or one episode or another for us, one of us can be caught cheating or stretching a little bit. And this is where I'm going to go ahead and throw my hand up. And you know, I, I cheated a little bit, and I found guys who aren't unknowns and guys who I think can really play the look. Of course, I don't know what Ware's budget was doing this, but we're not going to concern ourselves with that. I think just going right into this, I wanted to let people know the two big things. A, super difficult to recast Robin Williams, and B, it was very difficult to recast the young actors because, like you said, they were all between 18 and 20. So trying to find people who could look that part as well as be good actors, I don't think any one of them really provided us a, a horrible performance. So this was a fun movie to recast, a difficult one as well. And I won't lie, I think I saw this movie for the first time when I was, I mean, it came out when I was 10, but I think maybe you saw it when I was 11, 12, or somewhere in that range. And as we always mention, this is not a spoiler-free show. We are recasting movies that are over 20 years old. So if you haven't seen them, you know, it's tough luck. But no, the the end when Ethan Hawke stands up on the desk and says, oh, Captain, my captain, I wept. Like, I was weeping tears. Yeah, I mean, seeing just his face, I mean, they, they keep panning to him, you know, as John's walking into the room to see his reaction. Yeah, when he gets on the desk and then he leads the the majority of the class to get on the desk and do the same thing. I mean, it was so powerful. I mean, it just really shows the impact that he had as a teacher with Ethan Hawke's character um, and with the remainder of the class. I mean, it was so sad to see what happened to Neil's character there. But, uh, you know, we'll get into that once we get into his character individually. All right. So 
I think I started things off. Are you going to start things off with the, your John Keating? I am. I'm going to start off, and I'm going to let you know here when I was sold on one guy, then another, and I was like, oh, it's between these two. Then another one was thrown in the mix, and I was like, oh, gosh, that's a good one, too. And then another one, and so I finally narrowed it down to a guy that you're going to be very familiar with, the guy that all of our fans should be very familiar with, and that's Paul Rudd. I think he's pretty ageless. Robin Williams is 38 when he plays this role. Right now, Paul Rudd's 52, but you know, like I mentioned, he's pretty ageless. He's been mentioned as having that as a quality for a while here. You know, we see him in Clueless, but we've seen him in all kinds of things like role models, um, Cider House Rules, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. So he certainly has a lot of comedy, a lot of rom-com, but he certainly brings some drama as well. And I think trying to find somebody who encompasses everything Robin did was impossible, but I think I found somebody who brought a lot of those qualities, and I think he could do really awesome in, in this role as John Keating. I like it. I think that he does encapsulate many of the characteristics in particular, kind of a funny, sarcastic, warm, kind of approachable feel to the character. And I think Paul Rudd exemplifies all of that stuff. Like you said, he does have some drama. Cider House Rules was a dramatic role. Not a lot of lines in that movie, but he's kind of a drama in that. And I'm not sure even like this is 40 had a lot of dramatic moments in it about kind of just being an adult. So I think he can definitely pull off the acting like you said, and just kind of emphasize and continue it is that this is such a hard, hard role to recast. And I'm not going to lie that when I was trying to do this, I did get emotional about it because uh, Robin Williams actually means a lot to me as an actor. I think everything that he's done has been fantastic. I think his personality on and off the screen was second to none. Uh, they talked about how he used to every film that he would do, he would actually f- have homeless people would get hired onto the set to do certain jobs so they could get money so they could get food. And that was his thing. He had that in his contract and every set he was on, he's like, we have to have so many homeless people on the set as workers, uh, just an amazing human being. And like you said, just like Tom Cruise is tough to recast. And we talked about that because of his energy, but Robin Williams is so much tougher because he's one of a kind. He's yeah. literally the only one. Yeah, his, his, his versatility, and he's also so infectious. So I think, yeah, he's, it was difficult. It, it was, and so that was the thing I thought that going into looking for the right actor for this role, I said, you know, Robin Williams just can't be replaced. There's, there's not even somebody that can be close to it because he's so unique in that his humor and yet, like I said, his warmth and the – like the the want to be around him. Uh, obviously, I, lo- I wanted somebody who's going to play that kind of a maverick role, has some sarcasm to him. You can see the upper dean and whatnot don't like the way that he does things, but also has kind of uh, an intelligence about him. And there's something about him that just is magnetic and attracts people. So going through the list of actors trying to find who I wanted for this role, it was a lot of no, no, no. This isn't one of those roles where I had a list of 20 people and I'd narrowed it down. This was like, I had to find the right person and it was only going to be one person. And when I found the name, I said, this is the guy and he's not going to need any sort of credits to his film, but I went with Robert Downey Jr. I feel like he has that kind of studiousness to him. He is kind of a rebel. He is sarcastic, but he also, I think of the role that he played as Tony Stark opposite Tom Holland, right? As that mentor. And I feel like he could do that for a classroom full of kids as well. So I went with him. Obviously, he's Iron Man. I'm not going to give any more of his filmography. If you don't know who that is, you're probably not listening to the show. <laughs> that's, that's, that's perfect, Wayne. That's that's so true. Yeah, I mean, he is beloved, I think, for you know his stuff that he's done with Marvel um, in a vacuum. But when you think 
um, all encompassing, I think, his personal story where he went from being somebody who didn't look like he was going to have a great career, didn't look like he was going to have a career, and he ended up having some troubles and ended up turning it around to be a wonderful actor, has been in so many things whether it be, you know, some comedies here or there. But yeah, I mean, the decade plus that he spent as Tony Stark, I can definitely see how America and fans, you know, around the world really became attached to him and saw how he was a part of a family, probably the out, not, not the outcast, but the brash one, um, but also very, very, very intelligent, sarcastic as well. So yeah, I mean, I definitely see it. And I thought, too, like I said, that the one-of-a-kind thing, when you look at any Robin Williams role, whether it's the genie in Aladdin, you're like, you know, nobody's going to be able to do Robin Williams. If they were to remake Mrs. Doubtfire, I'd be, I would be skeptical. I'd be like, you just can't. You can't do it without Robin Williams. And same thing with Iron Man. That's what they have in common. I can't picture anyone else playing Tony Stark. I absolutely agree. That's something that can't be done. I, I think it's uh, shocking as well as not shocking at the same time that we went with two Marvel characters. But, I mean, it's kind of hard not to these days um, with all that they touch, like we, we mentioned earlier. So probably the most well-known of the kid actors here, Wayne, ends up being Ethan Hawke, and he plays Todd Anderson. Who do you have as Todd Anderson? Yeah, so Ethan Hawke has become quite the actor, and he has quite the resume. Now, going into this movie, he had done Explorers, so he was kind of like a main character in that. It was a kid movie type of thing. But he was 19 when he did this role, so he hadn't had a lot under his belt. We'll get to it more. There's another character that had a lot more under his belt as far as the the kids go. But Ethan Hawke was tremendous in this role. When I was putting down some of the things I was looking for, I wanted somebody who was going to be shy, naive, a little bit scared and nervous. And somebody who, I guess, in this film, I think he feels like he's the new kid. And maybe he is. I can't 100% remember. But he's like, doesn't know anybody. So like Neil's the popular kid. He knows everybody. And Todd is the opposite of that. He doesn't know anybody. And even in the classroom, when Keating's trying to get him to talk about Walt Whitman. He's like, come on, tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you're seeing. He's pushing him to try to get him to open up a little bit more. Correct. Yeah. Todd's brother is pretty you know, well known for going to the school and he's um, everybody's pretty much mentioning, oh, you got some big shoes to fill. Your brother was very, very great here. And so I'm not sure why he hadn't come there. You know, I think it's, you know, it leaves some questions as to when those guys start getting there and when they leave, it's like a preparatory school, but how long do these guys know each other? But yeah, we don't really know Todd until or Todd doesn't know anybody until our first meeting with him. And these characters that I'm casting aren't going to be household names, so I'll do my best to describe them. And obviously, go to the social media. You can check them out side by side if you really want to see what these people look like. But I went with Jeremy Shada. He is 24 years old. He is probably most famous for two things. One, he's in Julian the Phantoms. He plays Reggie, which is the bass player in Julian the Phantoms. But he is also the voice of Finn the Human in Adventure Time. So he's got some voice acting under his belt as well. But I felt like he looks like that. He had the right look to him. And watching him and Julie in the Phantoms, he's kind of a nerdy, a shy kind of guy. I'm actually a pretty big fan of Adventure Time, and I'm very familiar with Finn's voice. So that's pretty That's pretty cool. Um, you know, I'm not as unfamiliar as I was nervous about being with all these guys. But I can definitely see your angle and you staying true to having pretty unknown guys for these kids. And starting off with him, I think look-wise is very great. He seems like he could certainly pull off having that shy guy, you know, nature. I mean, one of my favorite parts in the, in the film was when Todd essentially says, I didn't do the homework just because he doesn't want to get up in front of the class to say his poem. And Keating doesn't let him get away with that, pulls him up in front of everybody and, you know, covers his eyes and has him going, you know, and really pulls it out of him. And it's really a powerful thing where the class ends up clapping and John and Todd really, I think, connect there. And John, Robin's character, you know, goes in his ear and says, don't forget this. So I thought that was really powerful and probably, you know, my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, I liked a lot. So that's 
kind of I went with it. If anybody's seen Julie and the Phantoms, my daughter's watched it about seven times now. So, <laughs> and counting. Yep. Not so, not something I've seen, but I can familiarize myself with him more after our episode. But again, I, I like your your choice, and I'm excited to see where you go with the remainder of the cast. And like I mentioned before, and I threw my hands up, mine are going to be more well known. And um, I'm going to get criticism from Wayne potentially, but that's what this is. We're not all going to hold hands on this. Um, But my Todd Anderson, the way I looked at it was I think he, along with Neil, probably gave us the most powerful of the performances. And, you know, we see Todd jump on the table. We see him really cry and and, and lose it in the snow. And, uh, you know, we see that scene with the poem that we were just talking about. And so because of that, and then because of what we've seen Ethan become in real life, I kind of pulled from a few avenues and I went with Tom Holland. I stayed in that Marvel universe. I think that he he could probably play a 16-year-old, 17-year-old for the next decade if he wanted, but he's got the boyish looks. If you don't know who Tom Holland is, he's this generation Spider-Man, you know, the third edition i guess that we've gotten but he's been in this marvel cinematic universe and again he's got the boyish looks i think he can play that shy guy that todd anderson was and provide us a very powerful performance i think he's got a lot of other things coming out outside of the marvel umbrella as well yeah i don't disagree with that at all and i know that he's more well known obviously he's probably going to get 20 20 million dollars for the film to be in it and i think he'll do a great job in fact i will want to say that tom holland came up for several of the characters that i was recasting I, ha- I looked at him for all of them, but because I went with Robert Downey Jr. as Keating, I was like, I can't have the two of them in the same movie. Yeah, I absolutely understand that. You know, that's why I said I cheated a little bit, but I'm not banging trash cans here. So our next one here is going to be, you know, someone we've touched on a little bit, and that's Neil. Can you um, let us know, Wayne, um, the actress name? Slip in my mind now. Who's the actor that played Neil Perry? It is Robert Sean Leonard. He's probably most well known as the oncologist James Wilson in the show House. Yes. Okay. So I, I saw his face and I couldn't place him. My mom goes, house, he's in house. So um, I really, I was like, oh, really the only person from house that I could recognize is Dr. House. So I thought that, you know, right next to Ethan Hawke that, you know, he provided such a powerful performance, probably the, the you know, the very next powerful or right up there, A, a and B. He's really pushed on a path by his father, Mr. Perry. You know, he's destined for greatness as long as he follows that path on the straight and narrow. But we can see as soon as his dad drops him off that he's part of that cool clique and he pulls a cigarette out and he's kind of the leader of that group. He ends up becoming the leader of, uh, you know, that Dead Poet Society as well when they're inside the cave. And so really, really great performance by the kid, I think. And so for this one, I went with Freddie Highmore. This is a British actor. Um, I most know him from Bates Motel. I know he's been in a few other things as well. I believe he's played a doctor on an ABC series. That's going to slip my mind right now. That happens a lot. Um, you know, I'm getting older here, folks. I think he also provides those young looks. He's also into theater, and that's where I think I also drew some connections where we see Neil. He really has a passion for acting. He really has a passion for a play um, and doing what he wants to do um, but isn't allowed to do throughout the entire film, and that's what unfortunately leads to his demise by his own doing. So we can get to that, I think, with with the next character. But, yeah, again, mine is Freddie Highmore, and uh, I really loved what he provided in Bates Motel, I haven't personally seen him in more, but I think he crushed it in that as a young Norman Bates. It shows him as a high school era Norman Bates um, living with Norma Bates, his mom, and follows them for about four or five years. So I really enjoyed that and uh, think that he can do an American accent just fine. Again, the boyish looks sold it for me. 
Yeah, so he is he's done a lot as a youthful actor or a child actor. He was in the Spiderwick Chronicles. He plays like twin brothers. So he plays himself twice, but as twin brothers in that. He's in a really great movie with Robin Williams called August Rush, which is where he kind of uh, is a musical savant. And it's a really, really great, heartwarming movie. And he actually, I do see the parallels between him and Robert Sean Leonard. The, the acting style and the way that they are, I think both of them strike me as more of theater type actors than movie stars. Yeah, just, just more proper than the other gang. Yeah, and he has no problem with the English accent. He is he plays Doctor with Autism and the Good Doctor. He's the star of that. So he's kind of a big star now. And we're not going to beat the dead horse about you know bringing all the stars in. Yeah. Uh, I do think, though, just looking at the two characters, Robert Sean Leonard and Freddie Highmore, I think you basically got in terms of acting, a doppelganger, which is perfect. Obviously, they don't look exactly the same, but that's fine because that's not what we're doing. I think acting-wise, I think you got somebody who is identical in their acting style, so I think that that's a great choice as well. Like I said, with me, I much smaller budget. Nobody's going to know any of these people that I went with. You you for sure are more true to what, what the this film did, and I applaud you for that because you, you worked harder in this, and I was just like, ah, oh, no way, and that's fine. I'm going to find guys that look younger. And you're like, oh, Jesse, this is going to be hard. And I think that's where I was like, I'm going to take the easy route. And you, you dug your feet in, and uh, that's where I'm excited to learn about these guys because, you know, these guys may have futures, you know, for us to look forward to and our fans to look forward to. So this is fun that we both, you know, have very different avenues here. Yeah, for sure. And when I put Neil on there, I was thinking somebody who was good looking, confident, outgoing. He strikes me as he's the most popular kid at school when you know when we see him. He knows everybody. Everybody knows who Neil is and he's friends with everybody. Like you said, he's the leader of the Dead Poet Society when they start that up. So I wanted to go with somebody who fit a lot of those characteristics. And I went with somebody again who's not really well known, but his name is Kevin Quinn. And just to give you an idea of his credentials, he played Pennywise in Hubie Halloween with Adam Sandler, which was an awful movie. He was Zach Chase in Adventures and Babysitting, the TV show or the remake. And he was in one episode of Shameless as 17-year-old boy. <laughs> um, but I feel like you know he had the right look to him. He looks similar to Neil. And in the clips that I've seen of him where he's himself and not painted up like Pennywise, I feel like he has the right cadence and he could pull off the acting. Well, yeah, I mean, I just want to start off by saying I remember him as 17-year-old boy, and oof. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where I may have the acting doppelganger, I think you do a wonderful job here so far of, of getting lookalike doppelgangers. This guy, I think, has, you know, that the nose that, you know, we see in Neil Perry, and not super familiar with him, but, you know, I, we've gone over that, and I think that this guy may be a star in the future. Like I said, I think he looks really, really nice for the part. And, um, you know, you've got two great looking guys for these first two picks. Absolutely. And I think we're this is next role, which is uh, his dad, Mr. Perry. I think this is where I had a little bit more leeway to bring in a known person because he's an adult. And obviously the original is played by Kurtwood Smith. He was 46 years old when he played this. We all know him as Red Foreman from the 70s show. <laughs> what a name. Uh, <laughs> Red Foreman, <laughs> Kurtwood Smith, both the iconic. But... Prior to this movie, he was done some small TV roles. He was in Rambo 3, and I always remember him in RoboCop as Clarence Bodiger. He's like the main bad guy in RoboCop. So then he does this role, and he kind of plays almost like a bad guy in this role, even though he's not. He just has very high standards for his son. He wants him probably to go on and be a doctor and do all this stuff. That's why he's at the boarding school in the first place. Neil wants to go into acting and theater, which any parent will tell their kid there is no 
future. There's no money in that. You know, you have to go into an actual profession. And I think that's how, how his dad feels. But I think he's a little too hard on the pressure with that to the point that, like you mentioned, we would touch on it. Neil's character commits suicide when his dad pulls him out of the play, which he got huge acclaim in the play. And even Mr. Keating was like, you were fantastic, you know. And then the dad's like, nope, we're pulling him. And then Neil kills himself. So it was sad. It was very sad. And even seeing, you know, his dad does care about him because he's devastated when Neil does that. But it's just, he just pushed it too hard, I felt. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it comes off as a very pushy. We wonder when this takes place. I mean, because even though the movie's made in 89, I mean, it even looks like it takes place prior to that. So there are certainly, I think, you know, stricter holds by parenting, you know, where they, they really have more say, you know, they, they have stronger desires and we saw this come to fruition i mean he really pushed so hard by not only pulling him out of the play and then when he didn't and he saw him perform in the play he wasn't you know elated he wasn't happy he immediately made the decision to pull him from the school and then say you're going to you know a marine academy so it was not something um, that was taken lightly and we saw a performance in itself by neil on his way to taking his own life and it, it it was hard to watch but I think, you know, you could see both sides of it, just not completely. And I'm excited to see who your Kurtwood Smith is. Yeah, so I wanted to get somebody who has a stern look to him, kind of a seriousness, intimidating actually a little bit, right? You're kind of scared of this guy as a parent, even though he may not be abusive. He's just, he's scary. And this is somebody who you're going to know well. I went with William Fickner, who is 64 years old. Uh, he was in the longest yard as Captain Nower. You would know him from your favorite movie, Armageddon, as Colonel Willie Sharp. Uh, he was in heat, but I feel like he has that kind of father look that like he would be very disappointed in you for not doing whatever he tells you. Yeah, I, I was just about to apologize to him when you put his picture up. So he's <laughs> he he certainly provides the the stern statuesque look that he needs to somebody who's not going to take any guff. You start talking back to him. He's going to ask you to leave the room so that he can give you a more serious talking to away from your buddies. He's that respectful, but he's going to drive it into you privately. Um, so I think that's a great pick. I certainly do see someone who is intimidating there. With my Mr. Perry here, I don't really know if we get his first name, but with my Mr. Perry, I saw some of those same characteristics. I saw someone, so, saw someone who's pushy, intimidating, uh, someone who had strong desires. He was passionate, but, you know, overpassionate and over pushy. It came off as villain-esque. And so I went with someone who plays a villain. You're going to be familiar with the last name. I don't know if you will be with the first name. But knowing you, you will be. It's Joseph Fines. Fines is right now in the show Handmaid's Tale. That is a show on Hulu that is very popular right now. And uh, he plays Colonel Waterford, who is, I'd say, you know, one of the main villains um, while he's on the show. And one of the main stars of the show as well. And just looking at some of his other stuff that he's done, I think it was just kind of right that he's he's British. And I picked Freddie Highmore, who is also British. Um, not that they're going to present that, but Fines is a very good actor. And I think providing them both on the screen together in those scenes will be nice. Is he Voldemort? No, that is his brother. Okay. that's his brother. So, yeah, they look similar to the two of them. They do. Um, but, yeah, I can definitely see him being that proper probably somebody who's a successful businessman obviously he can afford to send his kid to this private boarding school and having high standards for himself also having high standards for his kid like you said with freddie highmore and the way that he looks and his demeanor and the movies and the tv shows that i've seen him in he would be submissive to his father he would he doesn't look like the kind of kid who would fight back and so i do think that that is a perfect match right there that the two of them 
as the stern father and Freddie Highmore is the submissive son. I think that's a perfect pairing, even looking within outside of the scope of the full cast, but even within the, just the two father son, I think that's a perfect pairing. And Ralph Fiennes, you'd also know him as Shakespeare in love. He was Shakespeare there and uh, he's in some other stuff as well, but I think most notably right now as you know, the main bad guy in Handmaid's Tale, which my mom is obsessed with. And I know many other people are. <laughs> I always um, get the two Fiennes brothers mixed up with Timothy Roth. I think they all kind of look similar. Yeah. Is Timothy Roth also a, a bad fella in things? Yeah, he always plays like a bad guy kind of guy. The Brits, man. <laughs> so next we have Knox Overstreet, and I believe it's my turn to present him. And like I usually do, I'm going to lean on my co-host, Wayne. Knox Overstreet, he is, is it Josh Charles? Yep, Josh Charles, 18 years old. At the time he did this, he had only been in Iggy, or he had played Iggy in the in the TV show Hairspray. Yeah, so really, really unknown. So you're going to really see me pick somebody you're not familiar with. So I'm, I'm excited for that potential. In here, Knox Overstreet is the part of the kid, you know, group here, the gang of the guys that did Poet Society. And he is the one that is lusting over a certain gal. And he believes, like the rest of them, in what Mr. Keating is saying. I think they all feel it in a different way because we see it with another character we're going to go over with as well. But I think he really believes in Carpe Diem after he believes in it. And we see it at the party and we see him just living Carpe Diem throughout the film. And, uh, you know, he chases after a girl that is outside of his league, outside of his grade and age level, it seems. And, um, you know, through his confidence and through what he's learned, he ends up winning the girl, it seems. I I struggled a little bit to cast it, but I went with somebody named Nick Robinson. He was on Melissa and Joey, and he is also on a current show on FX. And we've touched on some of the shows that are on FX, whether it be Dave or Atlanta, and they are really good shows. They're unique. And the one that he's on now is called A Teacher. And he plays a high school student that has a relationship with a teacher. So a relationship that is, you know, it's, it's looked down upon by many. So I think here I, I saw similarities there. But yeah, my Nick Robinson is going to be my Knox Overstreet here. Okay, I know who he is. I'm familiar with a teacher because I love Kate Mara. And I think she's fantastic as the teacher in the show. So I think that he definitely looks the part of Knox Overstreet and would slide in very well into this group of friends. Because one of the things that I had or some of the things I had for his character were kind of a little bit nerdier than the other guys. Definitely a little bit more on the outside. He almost actually wrote down he's probably the funny one <laughs> because he's not as good looking as them. So I can see kind of bringing this character in. You've got Freddie Highmore, who's going to be, you know, more of like the popular one and you've got tom holland who's going to be you know kind of the ethan hawk so i can see obviously this character nick robinson kind of being a little bit on the outside but still being in the click but just being like maybe on the outside of the click so i don't i think that's a pretty good cast i think you encapsulated again what the character is uh, i'm surprised you didn't go with like a reddish haired guy because that's kind of usually do that if somebody has like reddish hair you're like oh, i'm gonna go with a redhead guy <laughs> well no sneak peeks here when you wait till the next character <laughs> okay <laughs> um so, yeah, I looked at this role and I said, like I said, somebody who is a little bit more of the outsider of the group, even though he's within the group, you touched on it. He kind of falls for a girl who's a little bit older. I think she's in college. He's still in the high school. So but she's very pretty. We'll get to her character in a little bit. So I wanted somebody who was going to fit that role. I went with somebody. This is probably my most well-known of these different actors. And I went with Noah Schnapp, who is 16 years old. He plays Will Byers in Stranger Things. And I felt like he would be a good kind of out based on the rest of my cast, kind of like an outsider, the funny guy. Yeah. He looks like a good looking guy. And 
Um, I see what you're saying about how some of his lines come off funny and his confidence is funny. So he's, I think, unintentionally funny, whereas there's certainly another character that tries to be funny throughout the film. But yes, Knox um, has, you know, that that crush on uh, Chris. And I, I, it's tough to see if it's it's a high school and she's maybe an upperclassman or if it's a college, but certainly outside of his age level, you'd think, and out, out of his league. But that doesn't stop him after starting to believe in what John Keating is teaching him. Right. Well, I think that she goes actually to a public school and he goes to the private school and he only meets her, right? Because her Family. boyfriend, yeah, her boyfriend was like friends with his brother or something like that. Yeah, there was some type of family outing that the dean, because like the dean certainly, I think, looks favorably on Knox. It's almost like that's like his his protege, or that that's the one he looks favorably on because the dean is the one that drives him to that event. And it doesn't seem like any other guys throughout the film we hear or see about going to events like that that involve any families or females at all. And that kind of brings us to the opposite character. I think is it? Am I doing Charlie Dalton here? Right? You are. So Charlie Dalton is the opposite that the Dean does not think favorably of Charlie Dalton. In fact, we see one of those opening scenes with the phone ringing and he's like, it's God is for you or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and he gets like whipped for that. Yes. Uh, but one of those things where he's like worth it, you know, <laughs> um, he definitely is the one who's mostly the troublemaker. He, even though Neil starts the dead poet society, I feel like Charles really embraces it. And to the fact that when they all get interviewed or whatever, they all get, tortured it seems like for information as to how this all got started and i think neil is like hey did you tell him anything and he's like damn it neil call me nawanda because that's the name he gives himself in the in the group and so i think that he definitely encapsulates that he's the bad boy he's the rebel of the group and the one who doesn't care he's willing to take everything on himself he's willing to get thrown out of school he doesn't care because that's who he is i think his parents probably sent him there because he was such a rebellious kid and I ended up going, this is one of my more famous, probably second most famous of these kids. I went with Tanner Buchanan, who is Leo Kirkman in uh, Designated Survivor. And he also plays Robbie Keane in Cobra Kai. He's kind of the uh, troublemaker in that show as well. So I feel like he perfectly plays this type of role already. That absolutely fits. And I've got to admit that Cobra Kai is something that I've wanted to watch. It's just because of not having Netflix yet, I haven't really been able to you know, indulge in it, but I've heard great things, especially from you about it. So can't wait to start watching that when I can. Um, but if he is the unfavorable one there, if he is the bad boy of that one, then it seems like it's a it fits like a glove. So mine here, um, the last of the kids. You know, my impressions of you know Nawanda was that he is the one who tries to provide the funny answers, the first answers, whether it be in class where Robin goes wrong. Um, so he provides, I think he tries to be, you know, the top student while also being the Joker. He brings the ladies into the cave. He starts, you know, putting lipstick on his cheek so he can kind of wear some type of paint. He, Like you said, he really embraces it. Like I, I mentioned, I think they all embrace it in a different way, but they all really passionately do. So with this character, I went with someone who I think most people will know is a redhead, and that's Cameron Monaghan. He plays Ian on the show Shameless. He's a, a bit of a bad boy there, but then he is also the teen version of the Joker on the show Gotham. With those references there, he plays a, a gay character on Shameless, you know, the, the, the son brother there, and he really provides a powerful performance there, but one that also has passion for getting into like the army. And so he lies and gets himself in there. And then once he realizes what it's like and how hard it is for someone who 
is homosexual, he goes ahead and he goes on the run and then ends up being MIA. So really becomes unfavorable there with the country. He gets sought after there. And then again, um, the next thing that I believe he's, he's pretty well known for is the Gotham TV series. And he's been, you know, the teen version of the Joker. And I think he's really done well in that as well. So I pull from that. There's that redhead you were leaking about. And I think the Joker, that's what Dalton tries to be constantly through the film. Um, and also he is the character who punches the actual redhead in the film when the redhead in the film says, yeah, we have an honor code. I'm the one that told and said that John Keating, you know, Professor John Keating is essentially the one that brainwashed us and made Neil do this, this or that. And that upsets Nuanda so much that he punches this redhead. And I think the redhead's name is Cameron, punches him in the face. And that's what ultimately gets Nuanda, you know, or Dalton out of the school. And it seems like that's what he's wanted to do all along was get kicked out of the school, but also fit in. And, uh, you know, so he took that beating by the dean, but he knew he would take it and keep his mouth shut. And so that's why when someone didn't keep his mouth shut and he spoke so poorly about Professor Keating, he would have, you know, he punched that that other student. And, you know, he would have been one of the first students to stand up on his desk as well if he had the opportunity. Oh, for sure. He was definitely, he was the rebellious one. He was kind of the one who really didn't care that would you know, ride a motorcycle into class, whatever. It doesn't matter. So yeah, I think that's perfect. If you have somebody who's like the Joker, like you said, who doesn't care as well, both of them have a, a need for attention. And that's the thing that when you talked about like talking first in class, I don't think it's because he wanted to be the head of the class. I think it's because he wants the attention. He wants people to look at him and to see him and laugh at him and all that stuff. So I think that, again, I haven't seen Gotham. I'll have to check it out. But if it, he plays the Joker, then he's probably absolutely perfect for the part. Yeah, even if you just watch a trailer for it and just, you know, Gotham, you know, Joker, um, there's a, an awesome trailer. It just shows you a little bit of what he does. I think it comes off as pretty powerful. And then if you've ever seen Shameless or ever get into it, I think just, you know, you could watch a season or two and really see what he provides there as well. All right. And who do you have for the Dean? Uh, so this one came pretty quickly. Um, as soon as my mom said the name, I go, isn't that the guy that already plays him? She goes, no, that is John Lithgow. I think John Lithgow is almost a doppelganger for who the original actor was. The look of him, I think he could certainly present himself as this dean of the boarding school, prep school, whatever it presents himself as, but Lord Farquhar, um, but he's also been in so, so many others. Again, I'm going to lean on my co-host Wayne here to provide you what he's been in that some of our adults will know, not just Shrek, uh, but John Lithgow is my dean. Yeah, probably famous for Third Rock from the Sun, he was in Ricochet with Denzel Washington. I always think of him as the preacher in Footloose. He's the guy who's the parent of the girl. The original Footloose, not the remake. And I agree. I think that he's fantastic. He does look similar. He's got the bald spot. He's balding. He's got the white hair. I think that the characters that he plays tend to be a little bit warmer than the Dean in this film. Who I feel like the Dean looked kind of like a Nazi almost. And the, you know, uh, John Lithgow doesn't as much. Although, like I said, the character that he plays in Ricochet with Denzel is a psycho killer. You know, so he's like, I can see that. And so John Lithgow, I think, looks very similar. And I think that he's having played the preacher in Footloose, where he was very tough on the town and canceling music and no dancing, very similar to the attitude that this Dean would have as well. 
Yeah, I see the Dean as not as as villainous as, you know, Mr. Perry. So I didn't try and find like a bad guy per se. And I'm not saying that's exactly what you meant, but I, I think he is still warm. I think being that one that um, looks favorable on Knox, I think he can have some warmness to him, but I think he's so stuck in what he feels is the right thing and believes is the right thing with what the, the curriculum and the way the school works that he sees what Keating does as inappropriate and outlandish. Yeah. And I, when I had some of my characteristics listed, I have firm, stern. Uh, he disapproves of Keating because Keating is a little bit more flamboyant and outgoing than he might want the teachers to be. Correct. Even though Keating was a graduate of there himself. Was he valedictorian or he was, he, he was, I think during his introduction, they said, you know, he, he was valedic, valedictorian or very, uh, had high honors when he was here. And then he went off and he taught in London as mm -hmm. well at, at a very prestigious school there. Right. And I think that that's why he gets the job there. But I do see him and the dean butting heads mainly due to a generational gap in their age. And it wouldn't surprise me if back in Robin's student days, he also butted heads with the dean as a student, similar to the way Nuanda did. Wayne, are you ready for a movie fun nugget that my mom provided me? The high school uh, yearbook picture from that school that they're at that they show of John Keating is actually a high school picture of Robin Williams. Oh, nice. Very so cool. It was a, so it's a very nice touch. I agree with everything that you said about the character and the character I went with is another famous person. I used him up on the adults <laughs> and I went with Jeremy Irons, who obviously is the voice of Scar in the cartoon, The Lion King. He's in Die Hard with a Vengeance. He's the new Alfred in the new Batman movies, Man in the Iron Mask, which Jesse loves. Uh, I thought that he would be a nice, stern, older kind of Dean type I love that. And and yes, I was going to say between Lion King and uh, he was also, isn't he also in one of my favorites, Man in the uh, Iron Mask? Yeah, that's what I just said. Oh, I, I probably, I was looking at my phone for a second. I'm trying to think, because you said he's the new Alfred and he's not even the newest Alfred in Robert Pattinson's Batman. You know who it is, is the one who's directing Venom. You're going to know the name. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. He's also Ulysses Claw. He is. Yeah. Um, and he's Gollum. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I was having to Google it. <laughs> Andy Circus. Andy Circus. Yeah, so that's actually the Alfred in Robert Pattinson's Batman. Interesting. Another weird I'll have to see how that plays out. But yeah, I think uh, you know, your choice is, is wonderful. I see a stern, but also a bit of warm in him. And I think that's the combination you have to have. I think it's probably a 70-30 where he has 70 stern, 30% warm. I think as a dean, you have to care about the students, you have to care about the future of the students. And he does, but he also very stern and you can see how upset he gets. And uh, I don't like, you know, what he says about Keating there at the final portions there where he's essentially blaming him for what happens to Neil. But I think your pick is wonderful. All right. Excellent. And obviously we're going to wrap things up here with Chris Knoll, who was played by Alexandra Powers. She was 22 years old. She was at Rose in The Sunny Boy, Lisa in the movie The Mask, not The Mask, just Mask. And... She's very pretty, wholesome, but again, I think of her like a cheerleader probably at this public school, and when Knox sees her, it's like instantly love at first sight. Gets into a fight, right, because he's like stroking her hair at a party, and kiss, her boyfriend kiss, kisses her as well. <laughs> right, and her boyfriend fights him, and then I think at the end, they kind of end up together. They never really specifically say, but I wanted to go with somebody who, again, I have Will Byers as my Knox, so it's got to be somebody a little bit younger in his age range, and I went with Breck Basinger, who is Stargirl. She was in 47 Meters Down, but probably most famous as Bella and the Bulldogs. She's the quarterback. She's Bella. 
in that Nickelodeon show. So I think that she has a very similar look to her. And that's basically because it's kind of a throwaway role, but that's kind of what I went with is somebody who would look very similar. Uh, and Stargirl, that's from... I'm not sure. I've never seen it. I just saw that it was in her credits. It's her most recent thing. Oh, okay. So she certainly looks the part. She looks very pretty and looks like she could be wearing a cheerleading outfit there. So I'm a little nervous now. I mean, I know that she played cheerleader, um, but I didn't really picture my actress wearing a cheerleader outfit. And that's where I'm going to welcome the feedback here. But I went with Dakota Fanning, someone who is a bit older, hasn't been in a lot uh, recently, but you know, she was great in I Am Sam, ended up winning an award there as a child actor. And she's kind of been a more of a model since I know that she started doing modeling for, uh, you know, cover girl and L different things like that. But, you know, she's a little bit older than my Knox Overstreet by about, I think it's a couple of years. And I think she's very pretty. And she, wasn't she in man on fire with the Washington? Uh, yes, she was. Okay. And I think she was also in a movie with Chris Evans, possibly where they had like superpowers or something. I can't remember what it was. Anyways. Yeah. I think that she fits. I know I said, we weren't going to beat a dead horse in this one, but <laughs> Even on the throwaway roles, we're going with A-list celebrities. <laughs> I almost went with her her younger sister. I was like, oh, that'll probably be easier to get by Wayne. But then I was like, no, nah, she doesn't have the the, the age. So I, I'm just going to go uh, home with it. I'm, I'm going to go hard. And, you know, I really opened up the wallet for this movie. So it was it was Dead Poet Society with a bang. All right. I guess so. Yeah. But overall, <laughs> overall I think the, the cast came together really well. Probably people are going to go see your movie way more than mine because they're going to know all the names on the poster. Yeah, <laughs> I, I absolutely cheated, but I'm, I've given you credit before and I'm going to do it again. You stayed true to what this film did, and I think you worked harder. You absolutely worked harder in getting your cast, and so I applaud you for that. I'm excited to see if you have any almost, and then I have a, an almost for a couple characters. Yeah, obviously, like I mentioned, Robin Williams, was there was no close almost. It was like, I found the guy, and that's the guy I went with. But I think the only real almost that I had was for Todd. Uh, I mentioned I went with Jeremy Shada for Todd. I had actually originally had Kevin Quinn, who I casted as my Neil Perry, as Todd. But then when I saw Jeremy Shada, I initially was going to have him play Neil. And then I started watching more Bella and the Bulldogs with my daughter. And I was like, uh, <laughs> he's really more of a Todd. I started watching more with my daughter. That's where I got my back. That's perfect. Uh, so going backwards, I really had an almost for Mr. Perry. And if I didn't go with Joseph Fiennes, I was going to go with Ralph Fiennes. Again, his brother who played Baltimore for so long. So those two just both played bad dudes. And that's what I saw Mr. Perry as. You know, I'm sure he had his reasons, but one of the Fiennes brothers ended up, well, he was going to be my Mr. Perry. <laughs> um, and then opposite to you, and I hope this doesn't come off as like, poor form because it was so hard for you and emotional for you to pick one that I had several that I could just I thought I could have molded into being at least a good representation not the whole thing but a good representation and first off and I I, I had to bring this up because of who your number one is I had Chris Evans for the longest time I felt like a beloved guy probably too good looking but beloved I mean when you think of he played Captain America for over a decade and then as soon as Wyatt Russell played New Captain America for about a week. This guy was getting hate mail and trash online because he wasn't Captain America. So I just thought, you know, beloved guy, not a ton of comedy on his resume, but, you know, Knives Out and not another teen movie. He had some in there, but just too pretty. And then I also, I thought about Bo Burnham. He's a stand-up comedian. As we know, Robin Williams had some of that in his repertoire. Bo Burnham is also a poet. And Bo Burnham has also done some acting. Um, not a ton, but some acting. And so that was someone I um, I thought about. And uh, lastly was Jason Siegel. 
in I Love You Man and I also in, in Forgetting Sarah Marshall with Paul Rudd. Um, all those guys would have been uh, options, but uh, finally landed on Paul Rudd. Yeah, I like Paul Rudd uh, in the role. Like I said, I think that he has the right amount of warmth and heart to the characters that he plays. As much as I like Chris Evans, and I even feel like Chris Evans looks like he could play this part, I don't feel like he has that warmth to his characters that he plays. So I, I think you went the right route with Paul Rudd. I also think we had to get somebody that had some some comedic background. I think just listening to some the trailer, you know, Robin does a few accents just in the trailer. So I think you know that's something I could see Paul Rudd doing as well. Um, but this was a good movie for us, and I'm I'm excited you allowed us to do this, even though it was tough at, at first sight. Yeah, for sure, it was a fun one. I like a challenge for sure. Uh, I'll get the cast up this weekend, and hopefully people will go on and look at them and decide which one they want. Like I said, I think you got the star power on your side on this one, so I think that's going to end up being the deciding factor. Hopefully we get more people out there. Like I said, we had that one for Goodfellas. We had a ton of votes, and then the last few movies has been kind of dying down. So people get out there, vote, let us know. Just one word, Jesse or Wings. Like I put. Yeah, please uh, support the show. We're going to continue to tag everybody we feel like would uh, have interest in these movies. I mean, these are movies from the 80s and 90s that we feel people really enjoyed. I mean, my mom was like, you guys shouldn't recast good movies. You should recast bad movies. I'm like, no, we want to recast movies people know of. We want to get eyeballs on the screen. It's tough to recast movies I've never seen before. I don't watch bad movies. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Uh, So good luck with Reservoir Dogs. Um, But... uh, (laughs) Uh, it sounds like there may be construction happening outside my place here, Wayne. It sounds like that may be me. So I apologize to our fans for the end here and to you. But uh, uh, wonderful episode here, and I can't wait to hear it uh, once you have it all prepped up and printed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, again, last thing, check us out on social media. I'll say it again, at Recast the Podcast. Very easy to remember on Facebook and on Twitter. And on Instagram, it is at Recast the Podcast 8. Probably most responsive on Twitter, but... We actually have nobody that reaches out on Facebook, but so it seems like Twitter is the way to go if people want to reach out to us. Oh, just my mom. My mom's on Facebook giving us, you know, character by character breakdowns. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what we got. Uh, go and be well. Seize the day, my friends. Seize the day.